0: Hi, I'm Molly Moran, and this is the Table Wine Podcast. I am joined by my beloved co-host, Andy Stoiver. Hi, Andy. Molly,
1: Hi, hello, Andy. hello. Hi. Season two is here. It is. Here we are. I know. Beginning of February. The sun is <laughs> shining. It, it is. The sun is shining. The, the world is looking up, maybe. <laughs> That's, there's wine next to me, as usual. It's, it's exciting. It's
0: better, right? It's better. So I started watching a show that Connor was like, "You need to talk about this on the podcast." So everybody, if Grand Crew or Grand Crew is not yet on your radar, yeah, did you watch it? I'm,
1: no, I'm so glad you mentioned this because I wanted to mention it because I haven't watched it yet. But like, talk about relevant,
0: right? And the premise of the show is that it's a group of friends who have to change their regular bar because one of them dated a girl who works at like where their regular bar. And so they have to, like, find a new place, and they find themselves at a wine bar. And that, like, becomes their haunt, even though none of them had, like, had any wine appreciation. I was just so happy because, like, they had a server come over and just say the wine. And it wasn't weird, and it wasn't pretentious, and (sighs) the cast is all black. And so, you know, that feels like definitely new territory. So check it out.
1: I need to check that out, too. Yeah. I, I've been not paying attention to network sitcoms. I'm pretty cynical about them. Another one that I watched the pilot of is Abbott Elementary. Oh, you know how education is it? And it was really funny. It was great. Also, it has Jess from Parent Trap. If you're familiar with Parent Trap, the actor who plays Jess, big deal for me. And I was like, wow, this show is everything. It just captures the kookiness of what being in an elementary classroom is like. It's absurd, but lovely. It was great. So maybe with network TV... Better than I expected.
0: My Twitter feed blew up about Abbott Elementary.
1: Your Twitter feed? You're a tweeter? I don't even know if I knew that. You're a tweeter. <laughs> I'm like a 75-year-old man. You tw- <laughs> you're on you tw- the tw- on the
0: tweet. <laughs> I I would say that I more read Twitter than I tweet.
1: Is there a wine Twitter or like, I don't know, wine talk? Like
0: yeah. Topic, but... I oh, uh, yes, there is. I <laughs> here's the thing. In my free time, I'm a book nerd. So my Twitter is like mm-hmm. Roxane Gay and Saeed Jones and Brandon Taylor, and it's like all these writers mm-hmm. and thinkers. and I'm sure there's wine Twitter, and I'm just not part I, of it
1: there's It's hard. I know. like there's academia Twitter is a huge thing. I just don't want to start no and I don't know. I'm going I think I'm going to try and give up Instagram and move to Twitter. I don't know if that's healthier, but it's somehow appears healthier. Somebody
0: asked me, a customer did ask me, so I guess I will mention that we Table Wine are on Twitter and I will do my best to tweet more because I know that people maybe don't want to be part of the metaverse. I
1: I would just like to acknowledge that you casually used metaverse very, very well. (laughs) Table table Wine podcast is using metaverse. That says something. um, The ominous... (laughs) Metaverse is coming and wine. Well,
0: I meant, you know, I meant Meta, the company,
1: but also the. I know, I know. I think it was very well used. Thank you. Thank you. You know, horrifying way. (laughs) It's it's scary. I got distracted because I wanted to bring up one other television wine moment. Do it. Of this week. The woman in the house across the street from the woman in the window. Is that the the name of the woman in the house across the street from the girl? In the window what it's a netflix show with kristen bell oh.
0: just came out
1: mm-hmm. um and then title is too long to like show up in a google search all in one thing because it's making fun of all of those books because it's just like yeah people eat this up they yeah. love weird crime of like depressed women staring at people and then become involved in a murder right that's so this whole show on netflix is making fun of that genre and it's good it's funny there's this hilarious bit where she fills up her wine glass to the very brim like pours a full (laughs) bottle of wine essentially into her glass and like sips it from the it's it's cute and I I thought it was hilarious but the funny thing is she's going shopping for wine she has like cases of wine and drinks a bottle every night essentially and so she's at the grocery store shopping for wine and the wine behind her that's in the scene it was like fiction and I feel like bride sisters might have been in there too and it was like how savvy is the wine marketing world now? Yeah. Are they, like, placing the hip wines in a show like this?
0: Good for field recordings, man. Good for your McBride yeah.
1: sisters. Right. It was just shocking. I was like, wow, cool wine. Good job. Whoever was in charge of the wine, I'm guessing.
0: That's the, what I felt about the, Greg
1: Crew. They were like.
0: Cab Franc. And I was like, thank you for, like, drinking something else.
1: Well, it's coming. Wine, wine is getting bigger and bigger. Right. It's coming. We're, we're going to ride that wave.
0: We're going to ride Go it. Go
1: table wine television show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs>
0: so, season two, we're very excited. We're taking a whole new format from what we did with season one. We are following natural wine from maker to drinker. So, each episode, we're going to have an interview with someone along the way of how a natural wine gets made and into your glass. So for this first episode, we will be talking with a winemaker. And in subsequent episodes, we'll be talking to importers, distributors, retailers, etc., culminating with all of you lovely people. And now for our aperitif, a little bit of fun knowledge to wet your palate have you ever had a wine that is corked? Do you even know what that word means? Now's your time to find out. So there is a compound referred to as TCA. The actual name is trichloroanisole. And it is a compound that causes wine to either just kind of smell flat and kind of taste muted, not that interesting, but it can sometimes have the wine smell like a moldy basement or a wet newspaper. I've heard some people say wet dog, that kind of thing. So it's not the TCA that actually smells like that. It's the way that it affects your olfactory senses. But either way, it occurs in somewhere between three and six percent of wine. The Cork Quality Control Board actually did a research about this, and they said about three percent of the corks that they test have TCA on them. It occurs most often because a cork tree has had a fungicide applied to it and then cork made from it and used in a bottle. And then that leads to this TCAB affecting your wine. So what does it mean? Well, it means that the wine, you know, smells like a basement and that you might not want to drink it. It doesn't have anything to do with price point. And it's not necessarily an indication of poor winemaking skills. There's a very, very small amount of wines that have TCA due to some other factor than the actual cork. So you can come across it in screw cap wines, but it's very, very rare. And it really is just kind of like more or less a luck of the draw until we start testing every single cork that goes into every single bottle. It's going to happen. It's why. The server at a restaurant or the sommelier at a restaurant presents you with a bottle and lets you taste it before pouring the whole bottle to the table. They come to the table to do that for one, to make sure that they're opening the correct wine, right, to verify that what they have in front of you is what you ordered, but then also to make sure that the bottle is good. And when I say good, I mean not corked, right? So that tasting is not for you to decide whether you like the wine or not. And if you don't like it, you should send it back. It's to decide whether or not the wine is actually flawed or not. The other thing I just want to throw out there is that corked gets bandied about a lot anytime a wine has any flaw of any sort. And it is a specific thing. So knowing the difference between all of the wine flaws you know, it's not a life or death matter by any stretch, but it can up your appreciation of wine, make you more knowledgeable and make you kind of understand what's going wrong and why. So if you do come across a corked bottle, a bottle that tastes like um or smells like a moldy basement, a wine that just doesn't taste, you know, you've had it before and you know, like, this is not what this tastes like. It's kind of muted or weird. That's a time to bring the wine back to the place that you got it or if in the case of a restaurant to send it back. And yeah, don't drink corked wine, though it's not toxic. So it's fine. You can cook with it if you want. No harm will come to you. It's just not going to smell or taste that great. So don't drink corked wine. It's time for us to pop the cork.
1: What are we drinking?
0: Well, we're going to drink a duo of wines from a winery in Austria because... Later on in the show, we'll be hearing from the winemaker who made these phenomenal wines. So we interviewed Nicholas Peltzer from Mineclang, and we have a pair of Mineclang wines.
1: Oh, this is so exciting. Mineclang, you should Google it if the word doesn't seem familiar. You might know it as the
0: cow wine. If you shop at Table Wine, you might know it as the cow wine. I've heard that from a lot of customers because it has cows on the
1: label. Now this is all making more sense because when... We've talked, now that we've talked to Nicholas. like, yeah, he's into cows. (laughs) Yeah. Into, it represents something. It's not just random that there's a cow on the label. No.
0: And we'll let Nicholas speak for himself and the the winery and the farm and the biosphere. But what we can talk about is the Gruner Veltliner that's in our glass. Yes. So Gruner Veltliner is an Austrian grape. You see it a little bit elsewhere, but it really is the primary grape. In mm. Austria, we have not carried this wine until just recently, within the last couple of weeks. I just brought it in. I don't know why I've been waiting, because it's freaking delicious.
1: It is. And to bit tangent, I'm thinking, are all Austrian wine bottles donned with that same cap? Because usually there's the Austrian flag on the cap, right?
0: There is, but I don't think it's a requirement.
1: Okay. But that is one tell if you're like not mm-hmm. strategically looking at the bottle to make sure where it's from. Mm-hmm. The cap is often a tell.
0: Yes, um, it's true. The it top... may
1: be the better ta- tell that you're drinking Gruner yeah. because most <laughs> white wine from Austria is Gruner. It's true.
0: This wine, it's lightly effervescent, it has the tiniest little bubbles.
1: Oh, it's so good. I drank this over the weekend with a little dinner party and everyone loved it. Mm. A reminder that, yeah, people don't often look to Gruner Veltliner. It's kind of like a cult secret. Like, at the shop, there are the people who, like, always bought Gruner. Like, there was a certain person that came in and bought the same bottle of Gruner. That was his thing. And it was great because it is such a great wine. It's considerably affordable. Like, seldom are you needing to shell out a ton of money for good Gruner. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just really excited because I don't think we've talked about Gruner on the show. And it's so good. (laughs) People should be drinking it if they're not. But this one. In particular, spectacular.
0: I knew that all I had to do was like give him mind-clean wine, and I didn't have to talk. <laughs> like, I would, like, just wind you on up, and you'll just go.
1: Yep, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, like the slight effervescence and the minerality. Right. I think gruner. Think high acid, mineral driven.
0: Yeah, um, and I think there are often two styles. Like there's the very high acid, laser wine. And then there's like a softer, peachier version, like a little rounder, a little fatter Mm -hmm. version. I think sometimes people have expressed that they find Gruner to be sweet sometimes. And I think that that must be that kind of like softer style where it's a little more peachy, um, Mm -hmm. less like citrus fruit. And what I like about this wine, it feels like it's kind of in between those two categories. It's not – it has, like, tons of minerality. It has a uh, nice acidity. But it is a little soft on the palate in, yeah. I think, a super pleasing way. Like, there's a little no, weight to it.
1: For sure. It's a very palatable – like, if you – it's a great intro to Gruner kind of wine because there definitely are some of the, those laser-focused ones. might be a little off-putting to folks that – Are you still like big Chardonnay or something like that? Yeah, for
0: sure. One of the lovely things about Gruner, I know this is months away, but I'm just going to say it now. Maybe you'll remember this. Asparagus hates wine. Asparagus and artichokes are really not good with wine, but they're two foods that I think people want wine with, you know, Mm -hmm. right? So in the spring, when you're like, oh, asparagus season's here. I love it. And what am I going to pour? Gruner Valiner. It's like the one... One wine that does go with those very grassy green vegetables. So,
1: yeah, it goes with a lot of food that I enjoy. So, I had made enchiladas for this dinner hmm. and was really, I was mostly a coincidence, but I was like, I'm excited to have this Gruner with the enchiladas. And it was great. And you taught me, and so correct yourself if you're, <laughs> but that Gruner brings out spice in foods. That if you're having mm-hmm. spicy food, that Gruner is something that actually Compliments and exacerbates that spice. And so it is great with Thai food and other spicy foods, though.
0: And wherever you live, get some good Thai food and have Mein Klang yeah. Gruner because you probably would be able to find Mein Klang. It is worth mentioning that they are one of the largest natural wine producers. They're still really small, relatively speaking, like compared to a conventional corporate winery. But within the natural wine world, they do produce a fair amount of wine. And so you should be able to find their wine. Should we drink the second wine?
1: Yeah. Okay, great. I'm excited. I'm real excited. Because I was thinking of the Bergenland red is also screw cap red that we have, uh, that Table Wine has. Yeah. That, again, you might not think of as natural wine.
0: So we are drinking the Rotor Mulatschak, which is brand new. It just arrived to, to Table Wine an hour ago. It's not a brand new wine. It's just new to Table Wine. So, awesome fun fact. Mulatschak, yeah. the name of this wine. It means party animal. Which I just awesome. freaking love. And Rotor <laughs> is the adjectival form of red in German. So it's like red party animals. So the wine that Andy uh. has mentioned in this podcast before and has been his staff pick, and we've done an Instagram live about it. It's the Shock, <laughs> the which is the white mulatschak. That's... It's, it's the skin contact that you love,
1: yeah. right? I didn't know about party animal.
0: I didn't know. I didn't know this either. So there's the Weisser, which is the white. And now we have the Rotor. It is a blend of two Austrian grapes called Saint Laurent and Zweigelt. And it is made using carbonic maceration.
1: Ooh. Um, ding, ding, ding. We talked about the that in an earlier yeah.
0: episode, right? So go back to season one if you don't know what the hell we're talking about. We definitely talked about it around Thanksgiving.
1: Mm-hmm. And the the white mulachak. That was my breakfast wine pick. Yes. Cookies in the morning. That was what I said to go with. And so let's see what I think about this. Yeah. I feel like this is everything. Oh, man. That is, that's some party juice, if you.
0: It is. It's like so. So all season long, we're talking about natural wine from maker to drinker. And one of the things that we've seen so far in the interviews that we have done is that people who are in the natural wine industry are fervent lovers of, you know, like they really, they really love it. And not to say that people in the rest of the wine industry also don't love wine, but there's something like kind of giddy, excited about natural wine I've picked up on. And I don't always feel that way. And I am not going to put myself in the category of natural wine people. Like I, I'm, I don't know, I'm somewhere in the mix. I'm, you know, but mm-hmm, but when mm-hmm. I taste a wine like this, I'm I get very excited. I like can picture myself on their beautiful farm in Austria.
1: It's really reminiscent of something that I've never associated with wine before. And so that's exciting to me.
0: That is exciting. I love that. There's plenty of black and red fruit on this wine. It's very bright mm-hmm. and lively, but there mm. there is like a mineral earthiness to it as well that is just delightful and there's just like what what is it?
1: I got it. Okay. Cap gun. If I if you ever played oh. the cap gun growing up, and I think that flinty smoky smell, but that's what it is. Like we used to shoot cap guns in our garage and like that little smoke and it had a really distinctive smell. And I've never gotten that from a wine, and I'm like, no, hold my on. My mind is being blown away right okay, now. Hold on.
0: I know the smell of which you speak. I am not picking up on it on this wine, but I don't I'm with I'm, you. Like, great.
1: I'm confused what because my first sniffs were not that. They were Black fruit and okay, and then I tasted it, and then my my whole scent changed that's I don't fine know.
0: that's how wine works' it's yeah, okay
1: natural wine especially, especially natural wine, right yeah, yeah I just want to express how smooth it is. it is like really smooth. I mean this is extremely accessible red wine in general like i it's kind of amazing because I think a lot of natural wines I would be hesitant to give to of stranger. And this one I think would be at the top of my list for picking any red wine to give to someone who isn't into red wine. Like, yeah. Taste this. I think you would like this. And so if you have friends or family that are hesitant about a lot of other red wines, try this. Like this is a really cool example of what juice can be.
0: Yeah. So now that I drink with you, now I do visualizations. Only when I drink with you, though. I don't do this any other time. But when when we are together, I'm like, I need to think of it. And this wine feels like Brooklyn to me. Like, this wine just really reminds me of a certain time in my life when I would go to New York a lot and drink too much. And I could just imagine drinking far too much of this wine in Brooklyn. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Because the alcohol is n- really not. What is the alcohol percentage on this?
0: It's eleven percent. It
1: be- okay, ideal. Yeah, like it's.
0: It is ideal. So it's just an aptly named party animal wine. I see twinkle lights and myself sitting outside with some very interesting, charming people, and I just like a a cool scene of people. Yeah, this is like that's the wine I'm drinking.
1: I think that. It does feel hip. There's something about this that makes me feel like I would be drinking this with a group of hip people on the top of a roof. I right? really see that vision. Like, it it really is a good vision for this. It's a group of people that doesn't want to drink beer. Yeah. But doesn't want to be drinking fussy wine. Yeah. But wants to be drinking good, enjoyable juice. Okay, Molly. And now it is time to decant.
0: Our first interview this season is with Niklas Peltzer from Mein Klang Winery in Bergenland, Austria. Niklas has been with the winery for a number of years now, though he is quite young. Uh, He has an incredibly impressive story. And we are really just going to let Niklas do most of the talking because he is a masterful winemaker and a lovely conversationalist, but also a bit of a philosopher. And we found ourselves kind of entranced with him. So we hope that you enjoy your time with Niklas as much as we enjoyed our time with him. And if you're listening, Niklas, we really do appreciate you. We hope that someday you can come visit us here in Wisconsin and that someday we will make it to Austria. I am ecstatic for what I'm about to say right now. Today we're going to talk about the first step in the process of how natural wine is made. And we are honored to be joined um, by Niklas of one of our very favorite wineries, Mein Klang, in Austria. So, hi, how are you?
2: <laughs> hi, I'm good. How are you?
0: Good. I'm wonderful. Hi, Andy.
2: Hello. <laughs> <is> so exciting.
1: <laughs> it can only be good, even though it's early in the morning for us in Wisconsin.
2: Yeah. It, Middle of the true. afternoon
1: for you in Austria, right?
2: It is, That's it true. is. It's, it, the sun is already setting down. It's actually very nice, clear uh, wow. sky. Yeah, it goes very early down the years. So um, yeah, we're in very different time zones.
0: We're in very different time zones. Our sun hasn't really come up. Well, thank you for being here. Let's just jump in. So this is an interesting question that I think, so we've talked to people in different steps of the process, distributors and wine shops, and everybody has their own story as to how they came to the wine industry. I feel like yours is gonna be a little different than the rest of ours. So how did you get into wine?
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not that different, actually, <laughs> I have to say, because I, I also not come from this, like me personally, maybe to give a bit of an idea, right? Mein clan is not just me. It's a whole family operating here on the farm. It's a very um, diverse farm. And they are originally from that place. They grew up here and they did farming since many generations and developed into this more organic, more sustainable, mm-hmm. more um, polyculture driven or regenerative organic driven farm. And then later, the oldest son, Berna and his later wife, Angela, came back to the farm and they started the winery in 2001 on the farm to be part of the farm environment. And then me personally, I joined my clan around 10 years ago. So they started already ahead of me. I was definitely too young when they started making wine. I was, I was 13 <laughs> years old or something, so that wouldn't have worked out. Um, but I started originally similar like to many <laughs> other people maybe who, who were on the podcast, um, Working with wine through restaurants, working in, in wine shops. So, I have a very classical wine trade background. I studied uh, hospitality, and then uh, with that, you know, with 18 years old in Europe, you can drink earlier, obviously, and you can, you know, dive earlier <laughs> into the topic of wine. My dad was a wine lover, so I came in contact drinking my first wines, it was 15, 16, I would say. I know that sounds fun American very early, but that's quite normal here. <laughs> um, but I think that's often better because you get directly appreciation for alcohol. It's not like this like vulgar drug, you know, which just makes you, you know, fucked up. It actually is something, you know, which has also taste and culture and history and all that stuff. So I found that already very interesting when my dad was drinking wines and like reading books about it while he was doing it. I found it fascinating that someone, you know, can combine pleasure with also like nerding out about it, you know. I'm come from Germany originally, which is not a very culinary country you know it's not very strong you know on food and cooking so you know for me that was very new that concept of like having consuming something you know and and combining that with like passion and 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 quality you know that was very new concept to me so um, I started working in the hospital, well, studying hospitality management because I just thought that would be interesting, and I've always been a person who likes to talk. so I thought that that's a perfect perfect industry for me, you know, you <laughs> can talk bullshit all day long and and, and enjoy me good stuff, you know <laughs> It's a very uh, extroverted scene, right? I would say. um. So yeah, I started that and very early I found that the wine path was my path, you know, within that starting already, I, I had to go like three days a week, two or three days a week into a restaurant or hotel and I choose a restaurant. Back then there was a small Stamish law restaurant in my town where I was studying in Germany and the restaurant manager there, suddenly he was a very passionate person, which I started a strong friendship with and he took me on that path. And I learned very early from 18 about many wines. Actually, I think the first time across actually Mein Klan wines must have been around that yeah. time already. So um, it was quite quite interesting if you think, when I think now back to that, you know, that was also maybe my beginnings in that time already, getting known to those wines.
0: Yeah. When would that have been? Like what, what years?
2: That was 2007 to 2010.
0: Yeah. That's when I first had those wines. Interesting.
2: Yeah, that must be the first time, was it, yeah, it was 2007 to 2010, roughly. That was when my study was going on and then afterwards I started working. And um, yeah, that must be the first time when my clients started to export a little bit to the United States. So that's possible. And it's funny because you said before that you lived in DC and worked in DC. One of our first markets was DC, Virginia and Chicago. That was the two first markets. We were for a long time not in New York or California or something. It was actually those quite odd markets, you know, for for our wines, you know, if you would think 15 years back ago where no one was drinking natural wine besides New York maybe, and maybe San Francisco, right? That was, that was pretty much it. So, yeah. And then after that, I started working much deeper into it. I did my sommelier also in that study at the end then of it. Um, so it was clear for me, I want to work with wine. I worked at a um, at different restaurants over Germany, more in the fine dining sector and and came across already with more organic leaning wines. It was for me a very natural process. I think that's for me very interesting. I never was said, oh, cool, natural wine is my thing. I, I dive into that. Um, I naturally just started to like more pure natural wine. It was not a thing in 2007, 2008, in Germany. But, you know, when I was drinking a biodynamic made wine or, or just wine with vibrancy, I felt directly more, you know, connected to that and and there was never I wasn't questioning it that much you know um my ex-girlfriend back then she was vegetarian so I was looking already a bit more I was you know yeah, young I was radical I was going on demonstrations there was a time when in Frankfurt I lived in Frankfurt a lot of demonstration were against the elite you know so I was like on those so I was (laughs) already starting to live a bit more alternative maybe and wanted to see a change and 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 in wine I was then at one point truly questioning like is this a bottle, why is it expensive and why is it, you know, like, wh- why is mm-hmm. it traded and now I was seen as something special when it's <laughs> actually a very uh, industrial product, you know. Um, and then I moved to England and that was the eye-opener for me. That's where I f- m- first time met Werner actually, and and um, but I was working as a sommelier at a, at a small brilliant chateau hotel and um, was that I had sommelier and I had access all by a sudden to this beautiful natural wines. And that's where I really understood what natural wine is, what biodynamic wines are, and read a lot, dig very deep into that. And then coming back to Germany, uh, working for a wine merchant at the same time, but also starting making wines with some friends. That was like, I was helping more or less, you know, I was going into vineyards. There's uh, Brunt, he's a good friend. I don't know if you know him. Um, Mm With them, (laughs) you know, I was was working a bit and uh, they were like, you know, different people inspiring in a way. It was very early, natural wine in Germany was not a thing. I don't think it's even nowadays really a thing. You know, it's starting slowly, <laughs> but it was very slow. <clears throat> and um, I was still pretty young, but then I met Werner in Vienna just for fun. I called him up because I remembered him from England. I was like, hey, we come for a trip to Vienna. So we met, we spoke about thousand things and just had wine, you know, not working mm-hmm. together or something at all. Next time he invited me to come to the farm, I came down here. And then, yeah, a week later, he called me up and asked me if, if I want to come down here, live here, and work with him. And and that's that's how it happened. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think they needed also a bit like this outside world because they are very farming-oriented. And that's, I think, the asset and the beauty of of Klan. That's what makes it authentic and special and unique. But they were not coming in contact so much with wine people because they hated this classical wine industry, which I totally mm-hmm. understand. And I was at that point also already fed up with it. You know, I was nearly where I was like, Sure, drop the wine thing, you know, and make something more humble, you know, and um, because I didn't like the bougie fairs and the suit and tie people and the trade idea behind it was very, you know, um, I, I didn't really could, you know, connect with that, you mm-hmm. know, the, the famous winemakers were always very rich people, you know, who once um, estates in Italy and France and driving big cars and I was like, I don't know, then I can go directly in finances and make more money you know, <laughs> That's <with less laughs> and, and have the same people, you know. So, and then, you know, I came down here and that changed my entire life. I was like always studying biodynamics. I was always having, you know, like talking every day with Werner about like life and, and philosophy and working on a farm, seeing the process and progress every day being part of it, you know, Angela, Berner and we became this kind of trio, you know, which formed the wines together. And I think that time a lot happened. In the first two, three years, we tasted a lot, we changed a lot. They were already very open to the idea of natural wine. We did before organic, biodynamic, spontaneous fermentation was standards for us. So it was a very good foundation, but we Mm -hmm. still made somehow wines for the market, I would say, Mm -hmm. you know. And then with that change, Mm -hmm. you know, with the change of people we incorporated around us, we could say, hey, Let's um, let's let's do what we really like to do. You know, they were already favoring cloudy wines and wines a bit more on the, I don't want to say on the edge, but wines which are just a bit more risky and through that, you know, have much more personality and character. So I think that was for them, um, uh, you know, like they needed that, you know, a little bit this like glue from the outside world. You know, I was I was young, I was twenty four, mm-hmm. five, and bring all these fresh ideas, you know, and then I started to travel, which they couldn't do so much. Uh, They have four children. Back then they had already three children, you know, an entire farm. So they can just like go to different wine fairs and places, you know, and and check out and get inspired. So that was a lot my job in the beginning, you know, a job. But I was like very out there, you know, and try to understand what we can do here with our profile from the wine part, you know, on the farm. Um, Yeah, that was now a long story how I came to wine, but...
0: No, it's wonderful. (laughs) It's funny how similar actually... How similar it is to the other stories we've heard, right? It feels like uh, restaurants and wine shops are how we all get going, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah, super interesting. So how many years total were you working in restaurants and shops
2: before joining WineClaim? Se- 70 years, I would say. Okay. Yeah, 70 years. Yeah, I was 19. I was already like, you know, I had a group of friends doing blind tastings and stuff. So we were... I was lucky or fortunate to be very early on.
0: So before before we um, got on the call with you, Andy and I were chatting about like, what is a day in your life like, like at this time of year? So like what is happening at the winery in January?
2: First, you can imagine we are not the small five hectare winery where this person makes, you know, everything the and goes through a process. Um, Which was also always for me challenging. You know, we have a certain size and we are a diverse farm. So you have your roles and your functions, you know, and that somehow has to work. Otherwise it will be a mess. You know, it cannot be that everyone says, oh, now I'll do that. And now I'll do that. And now I'll do that. You know, um, everyone kind of has their role a little bit, you know, um, it's, it's a more quiet time from the outside though we have winter pruning going on. We have a strong team on that. Um which goes and, and prunes our, our vineyards, which is a very nice work and job because you have not the stress, you know, in a way. Of course, you have to get done before, uh, you know, it gets too warm, but it's not like it. A... We have also not long winters, but long enough winters that you can have, a, in a way, not stressful pruning. Um, so that is going on now. And, you know, you have a lot of new orders. And so there's a lot of like internal stuff. Also, I have to say a place like that, We don't have this classical rhythm every year, it's something new. We open a farm shop in Vienna next week. We have new gardeners Mm. employed. It's a beautiful diversity happening on the farm during COVID. Actually, we have two full-time gardeners and started a five acre market garden with hundreds of varieties we have uh, a baker full employed a chef two friends of ours you know where we already in the past we're thinking to do projects with you know to bring to the people more of the farm goods because everyone knows us from the wines but we also want that people understand the wines are just as good as the other stuff on the farm because that's the idea of a holistic farm that's the idea of biodynamic farming not just highlighting this elite product which wine at the end of the day is right so vast is important that people can also add obviously locally but at one point can eat the meat from our animals can uh, you know taste the flour from our grains and so on so that all developed during covid in the last two years and we did a pop-up farm shop last summer the friend and me just the two of us it was very cool um very rock and roll like you know and at the end of it we (laughs) made also some very cool um pop-up restaurants so i was standing pouring wine you know like and from friends also wines and um I just imagined that in America that would be the biggest thing ever, you know. but, but
0: yes, yeah,
2: right. <laughs> um, um, and he was cooking and it was so cool, and we had loud music and it was very fun. And um, yeah, out of that, you know, we started to create that idea of a fixed farm shop. And now we open a proper place with a bakery in there. We make all of our flour for ourselves with our own grains and then bake by ourselves in the shop. It's a wine bar. It's a coffee shop. Um, it's, uh, you can buy fresh meat, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of vegetables and pickles and ferments. So that is a lot happening now.
0: That's amazing. Good luck. That sounds really magical. Yeah,
2: wear, It sounds like you wear a lot of different hats
1: that it would be misleading to think you only are working in making wine. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly how it is here. So this is a tricky question, but how, especially like, the part of your job
1: where you you were speaking at the beginning, I think when you first came on to mind playing that this process of reinventing and redoing some of the products in line. And like, what does that mean? Like it feels very abstract, at least f- from my perspective. And I think many like this notion of tasting some wine and then figuring out how to change that how do you make sure the changes you're making are going to be popular or desirable what goes into that i think a lot of it goes around taste and like how how do you negotiate your tastes popular taste and then ultimately the wine you're making
2: i think that's a very good question and i think it's a very um volatile thing you know it's 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 a very fragile thing you know i don't think there's a clear answer to that and i think first and foremost it's um, trust you know Uh, i think that's something which is disappearing in our society it's something when i came here learned a lot this in deep trust in the nature in um uh, in being connected to something you know that things go well you know not getting all the time i think we're living really on the nerve nowadays you know Um, and my wife is American, therefore I can say that, but always when I travel to the United States, I feel like people, there are even more so on the nerve because of the environment they're living in and the, and the job mentality or the work mentality. It's, um, I think it's very important that you can like focus on yourself, that you can come back on yourself, that you can like balance yourself a little bit. Right. And then you have also a very solid foundation on making decisions. It's very funny sometimes when I discuss with Werner some very important decisions, maybe leading the company in directions, we talking about it a minute and it's a very emotional response from him, if yes or no, and it sounds like he wouldn't give a thought in it. In a way, he also doesn't because it's like very rooted, you know what I mean? And then we talk about something which is more personal to us and has nothing to do with that, you know? And when when a business advisor or a financial person from The Wall Street would hear that, how we talk, they they would be shocked. They were like, that company is, is bankrupt in the next two months, you know? Like because you know what I mean? Like we I, in eight years, I think I never had a meeting here, you know? Mm-hmm. like we talk just how it happens, you know, it's a very again, that's challenging, you can imagine, especially from outside, you know, um, but it's it i think that what makes again that place unique that makes natural wine strong that makes biodynamic farming strong it it would survive also the next five um financial crisis you know it's not so 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 built on 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 you know quick responses and and marketing and and you know um how can i shape and how can i make profit and this and that and bank people and consultants and advisors and that makes you that makes you crazy you know that makes you totally distracted um, f- from from your work, you know, and and so I think obviously now it's it's also easier for us because we have much more freedom nowadays. The wines are popular now; they weren't when I joined here. You know, ten years ago, people weren't asking for my incline. No one knew about that. Um, but it was always this stress-free decision making, you know, and very mm-hmm. big trusts, you know, in nature in our wines, but also in the people. When when I started to go out the trust they gave me also, it was amazing, you know, and, and how much trust they have also in that project themselves, you know, it's not so shaken up, you know, even when COVID came, we were like, okay, we still continue working here, you know, like, because we are farm, we are allowed to, and we have to, we are a very small team. Uh, I think no one from us ever here got COVID. Um, and um We just continue doing our thing, you know, and we actually were like, no, we employ more people. We starting open a farm shop let's create artisanal flower. They're not afraid of, you know what I mean? Many people look at it, you know, we're like, oh my God, I'm losing everything. You know, the stressful reaction, Uh, then you just live in that your entire life, you know, and I think then, then you can't really be um, expressing yourself or neither certain creativity. I think you need freedom for creativity, you know, and. For the wines, for the market and all that, um, also that, I remember when I came, of course, I had my ideas, they had their ideas, luckily that matched. Um, we could have stayed with making simple, good organic wines, you know, it was working, it was not not working, we were selling already quite good amount of wine, maybe f- under priced in my opinion or under the value of the work, but it was working, you know. Um, but we changed so much, you know, and yeah, in the beginning, all of our customers were like, I can't sell that. I don't want to buy that. You know, we we, we switched. It's literally every of our infoters. And um, and I think, you know, now we found people who like want to work with us. So, I, I you know, like, and then we, yeah, from the wines, I don't know. I came, to, yeah, like concrete white. I don't know if you know that wine. You know, we made a red concrete and then we talked about it. A lot happens also in harvest. I have to say, which is again a very fragile, volatile situation. You know, when I come in and taste, I'm like, "Let's do a trunk. Get that that grapes look fucking cool. Let's do skin fermented and concrete." Okay, fine. He goes on and we do it. You know, and you know it's not so planned. We also not people who sit there and taste the wines every day and be like, "Oh yeah, and I wanted that direction." That's fantastic too. I know many people because they only focus on wine and they aren't. You know. Um, mm. But I think again, then you use too much your your mind and not so much your heart and your soul, you know, to do something. You know, I mean, but great music is not made in a lab, right? And made in a in in you know by overthinking it. The greatest music is always made very spontaneously and very uh, free, right? Every musician will tell you that. right? they lock themselves up in some cabins and making their next album, right? Um, <laughs> not not to be very structured, at yeah. You know, and this is similar somehow, you know, we have our bubble in here and in that bubble, we are very free, you know, sometimes it's maybe naive, um, but this gives you a certain freedom. Same as artists are very naive often, you know, when you, they look on the world. Um, but it gives you this like stability. And I found that very unique to my client, I have to say, this not overthinking things, you know, and always staying positive. I found that pretty unique, yeah.
0: I love that you brought up trust. We were we've been talking a lot about trust and like, you know, people instilling trust in each of us, right? The wine shop person or the distributor or the winemaker, Um, but then also the trust we all have to have with each other, right? Like you have to trust that I'm gonna do right by your wines, I guess, right? Like that we have it's kind of a two way street. It feels like it is on top of all of your minds, which is really, I don't know, beautiful to kind of hear,
1: right? Yeah. I would love. Yeah, To hear more, if you could, in describing some of the decisions you're making, like the, the day-to-day or like on the fly, it sounds like you're a very improvisational artist of sorts. And so like, what are those actual things you are changing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of process and changes come also slowly when it comes especially, special vineyard work or, or stuff on the farming. I think is a very uh, in, intuitive, you know, like development and change and and process. I mean... At the end of the day, we are 60 hours a week here together, you know, some and more. So it's very familiar. Wow. It's a very small team. Everyone is always here. There's in, in nine years, sure, our seller team often change because it's not, you know, the easiest work, but when, when it comes to like the decision making, it's a, it's a family and then we are two, three other people, you know, so it's a very um, intimate uh, process and moment. From the wines. It's hard to say how that sounds, but when you're in the cellar, you just like, you know, you just pop ideas, you know, I don't know. It's, I guess even in music, that would be hard to answer how you created that song. It just happens, you know, like, and I, I think it's not, it's not, I also don't want to make it look like winemaking is very ultimately creative. I think it is in a way it's a craft, but also it's very pragmatic, you know, so we taste wines and I'm like, shit, that tastes actually good. You know, I thought the way we made it, <laughs> then we'll not taste it. You, know you know what I mean? Like it's sometimes very, it's not sort of crafty, cool-ish, you know, environment. You know, when you're in a harvest and in a cellar, it's a very um it's like a workshop. It's not a craft, it's a workshop. You know, it's like you, you know, there's machinery and tools and stuff flying, uh, flying around. Like you could also be in a, in a repair shop or something, you know? And I can't even tell you when decisions were made, how, you know, it was just like Vanna came to me once with a wine and, you know, I was like, that tastes fantastic unfiltered. Let's leave it like that. And we're like, okay, let's leave it like that. That How it happened that that first wine were unfiltered, you know, that was, like I said, it wasn't like five hours discussion or days of discussion and here and there. It was just like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. You know, we trust in it. We believe in it. Let's do it, you know.
0: I love it so much. Um what would you like to see change in the wine industry? Like if, if you could not necessarily like overnight make a sweeping change, but is there something that you kind of see as a direction you want the wine industry to head or is there a direction you, you personally are headed and you'd kind of want the rest of us to kind of come along?
2: That's a very good question. Never been asked that actually. But um, I think it's very different if you talk about the wine industry in general because I have very little opinions about that. I think the the general wine industry doesn't bother me. You know, um, my life is way too small, way too precious to like. You know, wrap my thoughts about what Gallo could do to make a better impact on the world. You know, I think the entire world will need, in some ways, a certain change. You know, and reset. Um, I don't know how that will happen. If that happened through the use, I just became a father a few months ago, and I look at that baby and think. Like, Maybe you change it, you know, or not, I don't know. You know, I think also humans aren't always as amazing as we think, you know, I think we take ourselves <laughs> very serious and very special. Uh, I don't think that we are that, you know, like what you see in the world, overall, the entire world, I think uh, is doing better than they used to do, you know, Cause, um, and still though, you know, we fight uh, many demons, you know. Um, and 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 it's kind of overwhelming, right? Especially nowadays, for our younger, for us as the younger generation, I think we want to change. We want a different world, you know. And I think it will happen somehow or the other. And I think the wine industry as as itself uh, is related to that because right now it's a capitalistic driven industry. Period, you know. And and none of that I really find interesting or achieving, you know. Um, so it would need for me a total reset pretty much you know um Mm -hmm. when we talk about the natural wine industry that's where i feel home Mm -hmm. and confident and have i adheres and and know where it's heading to so i can just talk about this little hub we are in in the natural wine world and i think for that what i would like to see i i think i think there's also too much criticism in that world you know and negativity i Mm -hmm. think overall that industry is amazing and 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 changed already so much you know i think you know mostly when people get asked their answer this has changes and, and you know criticizing it but we forget also what what it achieved already and what you know what it changed so um i think it did a lot and i think where it stands right now is beautiful because when i look into it every winemaker i know since the last 15 years came across my path making natural origin wines They were all having no money 15 years and now they're having all a very good life, you know, meaning that they can strive their farm, that they can maintain their their workers, that they can inspire others, that they can, you know, feed their family, you know, and not the mom has to go and do three other jobs at the same time. You know, they don't have to be a distributor in the day and winemaker in the night, you know, Um, everyone is doing better. When I see farms in Austria, famous, famous wineries, 100, 150 hectares estates, which get, high Parker points, changing to biodynamics. When I see wineries like Ponte Camille changing to biodynamics, I'm like, dude, we're on the right path. You know, like no question about that. Everyone in this industry who makes a bit artisanal product is doing much better than just two years ago, than five years ago, than 10 years ago. It opened the world for so many young people who would never, would you guys be in wine, you know, when there would be no natural wine? Most people I met, you know, which are creative, inspiring, Actually, often in the United States, I'm like that dude isn't wine? you know why is he not an artist or like a actor? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like very interesting characters, you know, full of so much interesting people which have something to say in their own stories. I find it amazing, you know. Again, when I started, and that's not that long ago, there are people who fight that fought that fights much earlier, right? Than than me. I'm I'm not in one of those old souls who were, you know. Already, you know, like it's more Van and Angler, for example, doing that since two thousand and one, and there's even people before that. You know, they've fought the real fought. I came in the right moment where it's just starting to get nice and interesting. But again, when I remember those fairs back then, you know, horrible, you know they' the, the, literally like you're on a banking fair, you know um, and and or an investment banking uh, summit, <laughs> you know. And, and 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 now, you know, you go on, on a raw, or even smaller fairs and and you see all those people and you're like, wow, those people came to that industry because they found it inspiring. You know, they would never work with wine if we would still just all do conventional wine. And then secondly, obviously, um, for me, the greatest compliment always what was been, you know, um, often happened to me actually in the United States and you go to... A, a more random place, maybe like Wisconsin or many other places, you know, and I pour wines, I always went to states, which are also, I went the most little to New York. I went mostly to, I think the state I traveled the most to is Rhode Island, Hmm. you know, pouring wines. And I was in liquor corner stores, you know, and pouring in small plastic cups, you know, like (laughs) our wines, you know, and I remember people meeting years later, you know, I have nothing to do with natural wine, they were like, hey, that was the first wine I tried like that. I change the way I purchase, I'm stopped going to Walmart, I'm going to local farmer markets, I buy organic meat, and that's exactly why we're doing it. Not f- for the wine, the wine is a byproduct, let's be real, you know, it's a byproduct of farming, no matter what, you know, it's, 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 I, I think, you know, let's not take it too serious and, and see the beauty what lays behind that or, or beneath it, you know, and um. I know I talk now a lot about the positive thing. Anyone ask me what, what I would like to no, say change. No, you no, know, that's great. Yeah. I think that's, you know, sometimes people forget that. I think we shouldn't just, you know, like be um, too negative about everything and ourselves, but saying that, you know, what I just explained, you know, what I don't like so much in this scene, it, which has the positive, but also it's downside. The positives: everyone is striving, wine shops opening, people can find and lists on natural wine, saying that. Um, It is now also, you know, became a capitalistic idea too, you know, it, it, you know, it's a business too now. And, and the people who are fully doing that with passion and want to do that, I think they deserve that, everyone, right? But it obviously attracts also a lot of black sheep. So I think this is something, you know, which, which needs to be addressed a bit, you know, that there's less ego, less, you know, like, and just more positivity again, you know?
0: Yeah, I think we've, Andy and I both, and everybody who works for me, we use your wine so often as a I, I'd say a gateway, I guess, to natural wine or when people express interest in it because you can afford them. And because if you don't know what something is, you can like, here, try this pet nat, try this skin contact and see what you think. And, you know, invariably they come back and are enthralled, right? And they're like, this doesn't taste like anything I've ever had before and I want more of it. But you're not asking them to... I don't know, buy, you know, spend more money than they're comfortable with, or while the labels are charming, they're not like, I don't know, they don't feel overly marketed, right? Like they don't feel
2: yeah, yeah. too twee. Ben right? always said that to me when I came, we had very like, looked like a child painted the labels, you know, they were cute, yeah. you know, in the old days, but I was like, we should change the label. It's not fitting to the purity of our wines. It's too much out there, you know? Um and I was obviously trained as I was, you know, let's hire a cool design agency. You know, there's so many cool designers in Vienna. We have to, he's like, no, we do the labels, but he was open. We met a few people and he was saying, no, we do labels for ourselves. I was like, what? No, that's so, you cannot do that. You're not the designer, you know, and that teach me a strong lesson. You know, that if you actually, you have to say that he would love to hear that because, you know, <laughs> he was holding that a lot against me. He would absolutely love that. I admit that, but. Um, <laughs> but it, it teaches me a lot, you know, that you actually, that everything what comes from from within, you know, is always greater than anything what can be made from outside, you know. And what yeah. you said is totally fitting to maintain what we want to do. We want to be accessible, affordable. We want to be, you know, at the end of the day, it's still an elite product and we work, want to work on that. We, ideally, you know, we would make wine possible to buy for everyone, you know, and I hope there will be also more projects on that as more money, you know flies into that industry, um, I hope there will be programs long-term, you know, that people cannot spend 20 bucks for a bottle of wine, um, you know, that I think to make like schools that people who are not so fortunate fortunate than us can go and, and, and you know, become a part of the wine industry. That That's one part that will be super amazing. And I feel the industry drifting in another direction. It's more like more hipper, more cooler, more expensive, you know, more special, more unique, you know, like, um, not sure if that's a super good development, you know, mm-hmm. overall.
1: Thank you for all of this. And we like to finish with the same question for everyone, which is, what wine are you excited to be drinking these days right now?
2: Um, is that is that uh, related to our wines or in general wines? In, gen- Any, in general. In anything,
0: And it can be like a grape or a place or it can be a specific bottle. Like it can be whatever you're...
2: You have Jazz to give me right a second now. to think about it so much. That's a problem. You know, yeah, I think everyone time. says that there's so much beauty. Um, locally, if I can say locally, I, I can say a few, right? So locally, um, yeah. a good friend of mine, Sinelli, he makes beautiful wines, just two villages on the road. I had yesterday his new single vineyard, St. Laurent, which reminded me to Mondeuse from Jean-Yves Perron you know, mm-hmm. so what? Uh, and the saint variety mm-hmm. is somehow similar, I think, than Mondews, very low alcohol, but very ripe itself, very dark and very juicy berry, but like harsh acidity and, and, um, you know, not loud, you know. I'm a very passionate tea drinker, so I like wines, which are not so loud, you know, so that I really dig. Internationally, I think, um, I really like w- what happens right now in the east of Europe. You know, I'm very excited mm-hmm. about Slovakia, Slovenia. Hungary, we're just at the border, right? We make wines in Hungary. Um, There's so much interesting producers coming up there. I think Eastern Europe is for me the future, you know. Um, I tried beautiful wines from the winery called Raimones in Spain. New project of four young kids. They have all, I think, kind of known or famous natural wine parents. But instead of just doing going into that, they started their own project, which is not like just like 500 bottles. It's a serious project. They're about to launch that, I think tried that wines just recently, which were amazing, Um, very fun. But I just like the idea of the project. And then in general, I become, I'm still young, I know, but I feel very old. I think at that point, uh, maybe COVID made that, but I drink, (laughs) I drink more and more Piedmont and I'm starting to really like classical organic made, you know, original made um, of classical Piedmontese wines. Um, like the winery Lorenzo Accomasso, uh, very hard to get wines, unfortunately, and very pricey. Or Capilano is another winery I very much love from Piedmont. Um, so Piedmont is, right now, I like more boldo red wines with the earthy eucalyptus vibe, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. I love it.
2: Just And I love the wines from the United States. I import some. That's
0: amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. For
2: sure. Um,
0: and your thoughtful answers, I feel like. You were the exact right winemaker to have on. Oh, I'm, that's very I nice. Really, I'm
2: very grateful. No,
0: I really couldn't think of anybody better. Thank you so very much nice. for Very nice, and here. I hope to
2: come out to Wisconsin, yeah. I really would please like to. Please do. We will throw
0: you a huge party. We'll have a pop-up farm shop, <laughs> and we'll do all the things you want to do.
2: And Bonnie Vere's playing.
0: Oh, yeah, we'll get yeah. Justin Vernon to come.
2: <laughs> we'll figure it out. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. So whenever you decide to get together with people, we hope that maybe you drink some Mike Klein wines.
1: Yeah. Right? Oh, that's the, like nothing's better than sharing wine with groups. Auntie is a really. pro at
0: that. I feel like you have introduced your friends. You really have. Like you've made wine really accessible to your friends and it's very admirable. I like I like that very much about you.
1: It's, yes, thank you. Thank you. It's a good way to like, you know, carve out a space for yourself in a group of friends. Be the wine person. Anyone can do it. Start buying wine and bringing it to vets.
0: All it takes is showing up with wine and you become yeah. the wine person. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. We are now turning to our nightcap, where Molly and I wind down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um question time. We're finally at maybe this place in the pandemic where we think we'll be able to do things. What is an event that you're looking forward to doing in a public place with lots of people?
0: Oh. So the Sylvie hosted the book fair, it was an like adult book fair, and my husband's job was tied into it. And so, so we were going and we got to the Sylvie and there was a line around the building. Whoa. And I panicked and I just, I couldn't do it. And for professional reasons, Connor kind of had to go. And mm. he said, like, it was an amazing event. Like, he was like, it was so well done. You know, what they had, the kinds of things they had going on. It was great.
1: Yeah. I was like, this, I wish I could be just enthusiastic about it. But I'm like, oh, public space. Like, the Sylvia is this big music venue. And thinking about it filled up with people all breathing. And maybe there's great ventilation, but I just get like, "Mm, that's not yet for me.
0: Yeah. And it's funny. The Sylvia is the last place I went for a big public event. So February of 2020, Connor and I saw Iron and Wine. It's probably been almost exactly two years and we had that moment of like, this is probably the last thing we'll do, you know, in our minds we were like for a while and now it's like, I don't know when I'll see live music again. So when you ask, like, what's a big gathering, I've been kind of circling around wanting to have dinner parties or like a salon where like I even if I'm the host, I only know 60 percent of the people. But the mm. other 40% are very interesting people who've been brought there for a reason and we're together, like we're gathered purposefully and like kind of exchanging ideas and thoughts with each other. I know that sounds like kind of super nerdy, but I just have this idea of getting people together with
1: purpose. That sounds ideal. I love that. I love us a lot. All of that. Wonderful. But what about you? So I think we're in similar places on how we feel and why we're yet not ready to go into public big spaces. And I had the experience of booking tickets to see Spider-Man of like a month ago and then canceling them because I like freaked out about Omicron. And I love movies. I worked at a movie theater in high school and I think it's those little things of just being able to go back to the movie theater without having to worry. And I love crowds in a movie theater. It's special to me. I love that sense of community of everyone coming together to watch something together. And then also just like the little things around it of like going to dinner before or after or getting a drink. Where it doesn't have to be a question or some big, you know, inquiry if it's safe or not, that we can just do those things without being worried is amazing. And I'm going to plug this
0: because, you know, this is a podcast named after Mm -hmm. my store. So I am going to say that I do have an in-person wine tasting planned for March. And I do think that I'm going to bring back monthly wine tastings starting in March. That's great. I'm pretty psyched about that. That's something that I... I don't know that I know how much I've missed it. Andy, this has been delightful to all of you. Thanks for joining us for season two, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Until then, chin-chin. Chin-chin, Andy. Thank you for listening. The Tableline Podcast is brought to you by me, Andy Stoiber, and Molly Moran. Special thanks to Craig Ely of FieldNoise.com for his production consultation. Please review us wherever you listen. Liking, subscribing, and sharing wouldn't hurt, too. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in again soon.